So Ponyo is kind of a weird movie, isn't it? In that little intro to Ghibli-thon episode I recorded before Nausicaa, I mentioned there was one Ghibli movie I'd only seen the first half of, and it was Ponyo. Ponyo was the one I'd never actually seen the ending of until now. The first time I ever watched it was when it came out, and my aunt and I, we would always go to a movie rental place when I stayed the night at her house, and we rented Ponyo because I thought it looked good, and it was the first Ghibli movie I think I ever interacted with in any way, shape, or form. I don't include it, though, because I've never seen the ending of it. We got about halfway into it, and my aunt got bored, and she just kind of turned it off and convinced little me that it was just over, like that was just the ending of the movie, and I <laughs> didn't know enough about it to be like, well, that, that's kind of BS. I want to see how the movie ends. I just thought, huh, that's a really weird place to end a movie, but then again, it came out in like 2008, so I was really young and didn't question it. <laughs> I just accepted that the movie had a bad ending and was really, really short and boring because my aunt told me it was really boring afterwards, so I just kind of never thought about it again. Now that I've actually seen the whole thing, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I got to the point where my aunt turned it off and I was like, okay, I remember this, and then everything after that was brand new, so I definitely know I haven't caught up on it since then which means I must have missed it in the 2018 Ghibli-thon because it was the first, or not Ghibli-thon, Ghibli-fest, the G-Kids one that this is kind of riffing off of. It was the first one of 2018, though. It's been a few hours since I finished watching the movie, and while I very much enjoyed it, like, it's definitely a good movie, out of all the Miyazaki ones, okay, uh, Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki, not Goro Miyazaki, from now on if I say Miyazaki, I mean Hayao Miyazaki, but uh, if I specifically say Goro, that's going to be Goro Miyazaki, okay? Just getting that out of the way, because I can foresee it being a problem now that there are Goro movies and Miyazaki movies. So, getting that cleared right up, alright? It's kind of just, I think, the most meh ones out of the Miyazaki ones. Visually, I think it's one of the strongest. It has a really creative setting, and a lot of the stuff underwater is just very full of life, and there's so many moving elements, and everything's designed very well. And also, out of all the Ghibli movies that Miyazaki's made, this one, I think, has the best use of color. Usually, there's a lot of blues and greens, and, like, nature colors, and earthy tones, and stuff like that. But for some reason, the reds and yellows and oranges really stuck out to me in this one. I'm not sure if that's because there were actively more of them, or if it's because the moments that they were used were key important moments, and like one of the characters in this one is primarily red, that being Ponyo, because like a lot of important moments, like the first time we see the sea goddess, she's all red, and all the fish, the little fish, they turn gold and like float around her. So I'm not sure if it's more creative, because I know in Spirited Away, there was a lot of yellows and reds in the bathhouse, but I feel like maybe those were more backgroundy things and setting type stuff instead of front and center main focus your attention on this kind of deals but also Howl's Moving Castle Howl's bedroom is full of all kinds of colors but again those are more like jewel-less like like pearlescent no pearlescent jewel like like a jewel tone it looks like gems and shiny materials like rubies and emeralds I don't know the word for it I'm trying to think but in this one it's alive things I think that might be the primary difference that made it stick out to me more it's stuff that's moving instead of stuff that's in the background also spirited away I think the tones were more muted I don't know if I actually said that I was thinking it I might have said it earlier I might have just come back to it for no reason who knows 
I could be absolutely completely wrong. I might just have my head up my ass here. Maybe this is the one with the least reds and yellows, and I'm just a fucking dumbass. That is entirely possible. I am incredibly fallible, and not an authority on anything. Except maybe Resident Evil lore. I could probably tell you every important detail and then a lot of unimportant details about the entire series from the beginning of the timeline before the games even take place to the newest one village that just came out. There was a phase when I found Resident Evil Revelations on the 3DS, and that was like my first M-rated game, right? There was a there was a good period of my life. It was like two years where I would religiously read the Resident Evil wiki, and I dedicated all of that shit to memory. I've lost a good chunk of it now, but everything important is there. If you want to know anything about Lisa Trevor's backstory, a character that was only added to the uh, the director's cut remake, uh, or not remake, remaster, of the original Resident Evil, that the, this one released in 2002, not the 1998 release, uh, I can tell you everything about Lisa Trevor's past and how it ties into the overarching lore of the Trevor Mansion and how... <laughs> None of this has anything to do with Studio Ghibli. I'm, I'm, I'm going on a tangent that has absolutely no ties to what we're trying to talk about here. So let's get back to the movie. Uh, I talked about the weird color thing that stuck out to me. Uh, you know what didn't stick out to me, though? The soundtrack, which is really weird. It's another Joe Hisaishi one, and I'm used to coming out of a movie that Joe Hisaishi scores with, like, three or four favorite songs I have to pick from and choose to talk between. I don't really have any in mind this time. It's certainly not a bad soundtrack. It was enjoyable, and there were some moments where it swelled very well, and it fit the scenes very well, and it was emotional, right? But out of all of them, I feel like I just didn't really care about this one. This is probably my least favorite Joe Hisaishi score, which is still putting it above the majority of other movie scores but like it's just not it didn't wow me like the other ones did nothing really stuck out specifically i'd say the biggest song in the soundtrack the one with the most listens on spotify that is ponyo on the cliff by the sea which isn't bad it's like kids singing a song about ponyo and it's like rhymy and fun but also it's not something i'd want to listen to outside of the movie it's just what plays over the credits and not in a good way like some of the other movies and credit songs are just really powerful so like i i don't know it's not a bad soundtrack it's a good soundtrack it just didn't grab me like the other ones and that makes it kind of rough maybe my expectations have been set really high by past joe hasaishi scores i i just eh. Eh. did you guys know that this movie is based on a little mermaid because i didn't get that from it i do not i've seen the disney little mermaid quite a few times it's one of my mom's favorite animated movies like, if you want to get my mom singing and then make her embarrassed by recording her singing, uh, just just play Under the Sea, and she'll join right in. But, like, see, like, that's a soundtrack that stands out. The, the Disney's Little Mermaid soundtrack is pretty solid compared to Disney soundtracks. I don't like a lot of Disney soundtracks. They're, like, uh, I like um, Kingdom Dance from Tangled. That's probably my favorite Disney song, uh, and it doesn't have any words in it. I don't like a lot of the Disney ballads. Um... I'm one of the weird people that just doesn't enjoy Beauty and the Beast. I've tried many times, live action, animated. I just don't care for the story that much. I I feel like I'm going to get crucified for this. I just don't tend to like a lot of Disney music. Princess and the Frog has a pretty banging soundtrack, though. But nobody watches, nobody ever talks about Princess and the Frog, which is bullshit. Great movie. Love Princess and the Frog. Not as much as Tangled, but Princess and the Frog is really solid. Disney musicals just don't tend to strike out to me or stand out to me, but uh, the Little Mermaid soundtrack, I felt, is a lot more catchy and earwormy than Ponyo. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about it more. Maybe that's why it has more of an identity to it. 
I don't know. I just wish the Ponyo soundtrack was better. Like, it's not even bad. I, I don't have a right to complain about this. It's a good soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. I just... I, it's not my soundtrack, I guess. On top of being based on Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid, it's also based on Miyazaki trying to apologize to Goro for being a bad father. There have been a lot of interviews where Goro says that instead of being raised by his father, who was always away working, um, he was raised more on his father's films, and he got those messages of family and stuff from his father by proxy, by watching the movies, which I think is pretty sad when you think about it. Miyazaki, he is uh, a great, talented artist, but by a lot of accounts, he has been a very bad father, and uh, in later years, we're getting into the, the Miyazaki's life arc where he's trying to atone for that sin, being an absentee father who's obsessed with work, and that comes into play with the character of Sosuke's father. He works on a boat, and they live on a cliff by the sea, right? So he works on a boat, and he was supposed to come home at one point in the movie, and the mom was getting really excited. Side note, Sosuke's mom? Kind of a baddie, not gonna lie. She's not looking like a Pixar mom or anything, but she's looking more realistic. I, I don't know. I don't know. Something about her. I went to get dinner with uh, Joe, my uh, co-host, and he, I mentioned, I watched Ponyo, and he was like, her mom's kind of a baddie, though, and <laughs> he's right. I was thinking it. I wasn't going to say it, but it was the first thing he wanted to talk about about the movie, so <laughs> when you're right, you're right, but she was making dinner for the dad, excited for him to come home. They hadn't seen him in a while. He's been away working, and he calls at the last minute, and he's like, hey, I have to take another trip, so I'm actually not going to be able to stop home tonight, but I am going to be able to drive by the dock, and I can signal you, because they use, like, a Morse code light signal, like one of those Morse code lamps. Sosuke gets really excited, but the mom is pissed. She starts slamming the food around. She rips open a beer, and it fizzes up all over the place, and she is just in a bad sort. When he actually does come by the dock, and they start signaling to him, she's just like, bug off, bug off, bug off. And, like, she won't say anything else to him. She won't accept his apologies. Sosuke has to just be like, good luck, Dad. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. See, even though the soundtrack's weak in this, and that's usually a really big factor for me, I think all of the characters are really good. I enjoy watching everybody in this. The old people, Ponyo, Sosuke, his parents, uh, the, the, the sea denizens. They're all cool. Very good characters in this movie. But one weird character trait. Sosuke's mom... She drives like a fucking maniac. She, they live on the top of a mountainside, and she goes up those winding mountain roads, and she's like swerving in and out of other people's lanes, and she drives right in front of a boat that they're like getting ready to dock. Like they wave her through, like, come on, go, if you're gonna go, go fast. But she is like always speeding, and she drives like a maniac. It's terrifying to watch, and they don't explain it. There's no reason for it. She's just, I guess, tempestuous. I don't know. She. <laughs> She's fiery. She gets so mad at the dad, and she drives like she's insane. Uh, at one part, there's flooding, and she just drives straight through the flood in their tiny little smart car-looking ass thing. It's, it's dangerous. It's spooky. I don't trust her to keep a child safe, but also she's a very good mom and loving, and I trust her to keep a child safe. I'm not sure I trust Fujimoto to keep his children safe, because uh, Ponyo escapes multiple times. Fujimoto is Ponyo's wizard father. Uh, he lives under sea because he married the sea goddess and had several hundred children with her because I guess fish spawn and they have a lot of a lot of eggs. So 
I, I don't want to think about the logistics of it too much. It's kind of weird to think about the fact that this whole movie is essentially about an arranged marriage. Well, not an arranged marriage. They both love each other. But also, they're five. So do they really love each other? Or is this the parents kind of overstepping on two children doing a little thing? I feel like if every child that had a fake playhouse, play wedding, whatever, uh, was forced to actually marry that person, there would be a lot of unhappy weddings and marriages in the future. I don't know, I just think it might get a little awkward if in high school uh, they, they just get into different things and develop into different people and don't want to be together anymore because Ponyo kind of has to give up her magic and her connection to the ocean to live with him and, and to, be, to be his love. But can you really be expected to keep to a promise you made when you were five, especially to someone you've only known for like two days when this movie takes place? I don't know. Especially if that somebody is a fish, or was a fish, sorry, sorry. Uh, they were a fish, and when they used their magic, they would turn back into a fish, because the more human they were, the harder it was to do magic. But uh, they are no longer a fish, so they don't have any more magic, if that makes sense. But Fujimoto, he, he's a good dad, he cares very, very deeply, but he's also very wrapped up in his work. He's a good parallel to Sasuke's dad, or Susuke. Sosuke, I, I say it different every time. I, I feel like I'm just going to have to accept that. Um, the dad, I think, is the one that's voiced by Matt Damon, not uh, Fujimoto. He's voiced by Liam Neeson, which is also very cool. Also, Kate Blanchett's in this. Who is Koichi? I think that is the name of the dad. And I'm not going to double check that because that would involve looking up stuff. You know who else I like in this movie? The old ladies. You got Toki, you got Yoshi, you got uh, Keio. Uh, they're, they're all old ladies. One of them's Betty White. One of them's Lily Tomlin. I don't know who Lily Tomlin is, actually. Um, but I do know who Betty White is. I enjoy her in most things. I'm really jumping around a lot talking about the characters. I didn't even originally start this tangent intending to talk about the characters. I was going to do that after an ad break, but... I don't think I'm going to do an ad break in this episode. I did one in the last episode, and I feel bad putting ads in every episode, especially when there's errors in that recording of that ad that I can't fix without just re-recording the whole ad, and I hate recording ads because it makes me upset, and I don't want to stop in the middle of the episode and record a new ad. So instead of getting an ad, you guys are just going to get about 30 seconds of me talking about ads, and then uh, we're going to move on. Fujimoto is a very good character, and I really just kind of brushed past him. He has his whole little wizard's workshop of elixirs and magical items and stuff, right? And he keeps all of his daughters on a table in the middle of it in a big bubble because they're like fish, right? So they're really, really small. And there's just a bunch of them in a big sandcastle on a table in a bubble. And Ponyo, uh, her original name was <laughs> Brunhilde. That's the one her parents gave her. The little boy is the one that named her Ponyo when he found her with a, a jar on his head. Um, so, a jar on her head, sorry. Ponyo is a, a, a girl. Uh, but Fujimoto, he's a good father, but he's distracted with his work. And it's a good parallel to Sosuke's father. So... They have different reasons, kind of, because he's there physically, but he's still not there emotionally, and Sosuke's father is there emotionally, but not quite physically, if that makes sense. Like, they each have one absentee father trait, but they are still both trying to be good fathers in a way, so I think that's where a lot of the stuff from the Miyazaki and Goro falling out with uh, Goro's first movie and uh, him saying, oh, I don't think my son should direct a movie because he's never worked in animation before, so I don't think he deserves to be a director yet. 
there was a lot of uh, backlash from that, and they, they got in a lot of arguments and stuff like that. So this was, this movie was made as an apology to Goro. <laughs> and I think it did a good job of that, but I don't think it's very Little Mermaid. I didn't get a lot of Little Mermaid from this. I don't know who Ursula would be. There's not really a villain in this movie. Also, like I said, the main characters are five, and this is definitely a more children-targeted one, so I'd say it airs a little closer to the My Neighbor Totoro side of things, but I don't think it's as good as My Neighbor Totoro. I think it's creative and imaginative, but it doesn't give me those same heartwarming feelings as My Neighbor Totoro. I think the characters get a lot more fleshed out and they're more interesting, but for some reason the vibe is off. I don't know how I feel about Ponyo. <laughs> out of the Miyazaki movies, I think it is certainly at the bottom of those as far as I'm concerned because the ones I like most are up there as the more mature ones with Porco Rosso and Mononoke and Kiki's is kind of a wild card but that one has more mature themes in it because she's older that one's more of a coming of age story this one is just a love story where the two people in love are children and I I don't know like if I don't care about high school romance why would I care about kindergarten romance I think the primary thing keeping me invested in this movie was just how freaking pretty it is. Everything is beautiful. Everything they created for this is nice. Like the fish turning, or the, the Ponyo's siblings, the, they, those little little fish guppy girls, they all turn into like giant fish and that's like the waves. And it looks really cool because it's like a bunch of deep blue ocean colored fish making stormy tsunami waves and it's awesome and I like the old people and there's like an environmental message to it because it's a Miyazaki movie and that never gets resolved it kind of just gets thrown away about halfway through the movie there's litter all over the ocean every time there's a scene in the ocean there is litter in the frame and Fujimoto starts talking about how he wants to bring about the end of the world and reset everything to how it was back in uh <laughs> it was like a period of prehistory with like a bunch of old stuff like coelacanths and uh, fish like that like all those old fish in the ocean when most of life was still in the ocean he wants to like cover land and water and reset everything for the ocean goddess but he kind of just doesn't ponyo does it by accident but there's no consequences to that because uh the goddess of the ocean is just like hmm, i guess uh we can just send the moon back up into space if uh you you two five-year-olds agree that you're gonna love each other forever and they do because they're five-year-olds so why, why wouldn't they just agree to that? They don't understand consequences or life-altering decisions. They don't have any idea how high stakes that decision really is. So, of course, they're just going to agree to it. And that, that's that. <laughs> there's no conflict, really. Um, there's a little bit of conflict when Sosuke's mom is back at the, the elderly home that she works at. But uh, outside of that, when she gets there, we already know that she's completely safe just talking about Goddess of the Ocean. And they're just like... Hmm, yeah, I guess we can just see if our kids actually love each other. There's no stakes. I, I, I can't really get invested in a story without stakes. I really was just looking at the pretty pictures. It was nice and rainy outside while I was watching this, which I think added to the aesthetic of watching a stormy sea and all the underwater creatures and life. Everybody's pleasant. Ponyo has like a fun fish-out-of-water vibe to her. It's definitely more character-driven than story-driven, and all of the characters are good. But I'd like to see some growth or conflict or something in it to say that I'm invested or enjoying the movie fully. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, it was just pretty. I feel like it was one of the weaker Miyazaki movies. And don't get me wrong, that still means it's better than the majority of crap children are forced to watch. I'm not calling it Boss Baby, but it's, it's just, 
I just don't think it's on the same level as other ones. I, I enjoyed it. I'll watch it again at some point, probably. But, like, not that that excited to go back and rewatch it. I, that, I was saying in the end of the last episode, everybody I talk to about Ponyo, it's either their favorite Ghibli movie or their least favorite Ghibli movie. And the people that say it's their least favorite Ghibli movie, I don't think have seen the non-Miyazaki ones. Uh, I think they're just making that assumption that everything Ghibli puts out is on the tier of Spirited Away and Mononoke and uh, Totoro. But um, <laughs> it's just kind of a weaker entry for me. And it was pleasant. It was a nice, relaxing watch. I enjoyed my time with the movie. I just didn't really care about it. Miyazaki originally wanted to make a sequel to this, but he didn't because Toshio Suzuki's producer convinced him to make the movie The Wind Rises, which we'll be getting to in a little bit. So, I mean, we can look forward to that one, and I'll briefly mention that this is what replaced Ponyo's sequel, or I won't. You know what? I won't. I'm not going to do it anymore. I already mentioned it twice in this review. I don't... Fuck you. You don't need that reminder. You can use your big old brain. You can store memory in there. In summary, it's got an alright story, an alright soundtrack, but I think it very much stands out in its visuals. So, uh, whatever that means. The next movie is going to be The Secret World of Ariety? I think that's how you pronounce that name. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you then. Uh.